Welcome to Deviate to Win, a podcast featuring business leaders who've won by going in a different direction from everybody else. With your host, Jason Ader. This podcast is meant to be used for informational purposes only and not investment advice. Hosts and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed. All opinions on Deviate to Win are the opinions of the host and guest and do not represent those of Spring Owl Asset Management. Okay, I'm Jason Ader. This is the Deviate to Win podcast. You can find this show on both the Apple and Spotify platforms. The book Deviate to Win is available on Amazon and all your favorite bookstores all over the world. We've got an awesome guest today, Andrew W. Scott. Andrew's the vice chairman and CEO of Inside Asian Gaming. He has an amazing background. I can't wait for him to tell us about himself. I think he's got the best eyes and ears on the ground in Macau. When it comes to Macau and Asia, I think Andrew is the biggest winner I know. Welcome to the show, Andrew. How's it going today? Hey, Jason. How are you? Thanks for having me on your, on your podcast. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet in Macau, right? Nothing going on there the last couple of weeks, huh? <laughs> yeah, pretty quiet week. We uh, we were just fishing and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so what the heck is going on there? It's it, The stock prices are in a free fall. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I uh, I don't buy it one bit. If anyone's read my stuff, especially an article I wrote uh, Wednesday morning our time, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but... I mean, sure. I mean, it makes sense to go down a little bit, but not like not like what it did. It was it was just uh, absolutely crazy. Well, you know, I did see your article. You know, I want you to tell us about it. But first, you have a really interesting background. Um, you even went to school in Macau. I mean, you're 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 you know deeply embedded. So, if you would take a couple of minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself and and, and what you do. Sure, no problem. Uh, it's quite a it's quite a long story, so I'll try and cut it a bit short. Um, I've actually been involved in the the gaming industry for 35 years, believe it or not. I started off as a 17-year-old kid in uh, Tasmania, of all places, uh, the first uh, legal casino in Australia, Rest Point down there in Tasmania. And I uh, happened to, I moved there with my folks when I was 10, did university there. And the casino is right next to the university. And uh, back in those days, it was pretty easy to sneak in underage. So... um, there I was, little fresh-faced 17-year-old boy in the casino and fell in love instantly, absolutely instantly. And I knew that my whole uh, life and career was going to be around what we call casinos then and we now call integrated resorts. And uh, it just went from there. So I, I did a, a commerce degree, worked in an accounting firm, a chartered accounting firm for a few years. But actually, I started off becoming a professional blackjack player. So I was a, I was a card counter and I played. And then I quit my job and then I started a really big team that played all around the world. And I did that for about 15 years or so. And then in the early 2000s, I was like, right, I've had enough of this caper. Uh, I want to get onto the other side of the table and do a serious job now. Uh, we were making plenty of money. I was going fine, but I didn't want to be doing it in my 40s and 50s and 60s. And I just loved the environment. I loved the way we were going to the integrated resort model with the big uh, hospitality aspect and the entertainment. And it was just, it wasn't a casino anymore. It was a really interesting business, always been involved in business. So kind of long story short, I'll try and skip forward a bit. I, uh, I, I went to, I kind of retired from Blackjack, went to Hong Kong for a few years, stayed in Hong Kong uh, for a few years, and then was traveling to Macau during the four or five years I was in Hong Kong. Then I moved to Macau permanently in 2009. I've been uh, here ever since, I'm in Macau now, as I speak to you. Uh, actually, I have been here because of the pandemic for, uh, I think it's month 19 now, I have not left Macau. And normally I, I go to the Philippines every month and Japan every month for about a week each, uh, but no such luck lately. And then got involved in this business inside Asian gaming. So we run this uh, inside Asian gaming. We do a monthly print magazine, we still do print, uh, but really, our main gig now is we have a daily email. It's really strong. Um, we we do five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten stories a day on the Asian gaming industry, predominantly Macau, a little bit Singapore, a little bit Philippines, and we've got uh, you know built up over the last fifteen years. We've got great connections on the ground here, great sources. We're really trusted by the industry over here. We're pro industry. We do do negative stories sometimes, but mainly we're pro industry. 
and we seem to have built up a bit of respect and trust and connections and you know we just do it every day and we love it we're very passionate about what we do uh in following the industry over here so that's that's kind of the last 35 years in a nutshell it's amazing stuff and uh you know we, we see your we see your stuff and we see your reports and and you're way ahead of the wall street analysts you, you just you know we, we we see them too and uh yeah. it's very clear you've got eyes and ears on the ground you know what's going on you're ahead of the curve and uh you know you, you had to be my first call i mean i see the stock prices down at at just you know catastrophic like basically levels that reflect march of last year i mean the the market lows i mean i'm I, i'm seeing yeah. sans china and mgm and win you know prices i just couldn't have imagined and uh i mean we all know how strong macau was but you know, you just had a two-year, or you said 19-month pandemic. I mean, it's been really the roughest time for Macau probably ever. I mean, I, I remember seeing pictures of the empty casinos when things went on lockdown. And I, and I remember saying to one of my friends, you should really just go take photographs. I mean, you're never going to see empty casinos in Macau again. These are big, beautiful buildings, and they're just empty. And so it's been a really rough time for operators, keeping people employed, carrying losses. And as we're just about to come out of that, you know, we see green shoots in some gaming markets now, including Las Vegas, is seeing some of the best numbers um, since, you know, the pandemic, um, some, in some areas higher than, than peak. Um, the timing here, like to put, put out, you know, information in the backdrop of what everybody's just experienced is just very confusing from and most investors in macau are are us based so so what's happening yeah well there's a lot to unpack there um the first thing i guess you mentioned let me let me deal with what you said last first which was the timing seems odd well they didn't really have a choice in the timing uh they did i think they would be prepared to admit they handled it clumsily they did not prep the market you know, they should have said, look, we've announced a press conference for 10 days from now, let the commentariat come out and say a few things. They should have warmed the market up. Instead, they announced a press conference at one o'clock. They had the press conference at five o'clock. They issued the consultation paper in the middle of the press conference. It was just like, bang, it all happened at once. Um, but if you were in the know over here, um, we knew that there was going to be a public consultation process in the second half of the year. That's been stated. That was known. And we, if you had any common sense at all, you knew it was going to be after the Legislative Assembly elections. So we actually had a Legislative Assembly elections here on the 12th of September. So it had to be after the 12th of September. They just wouldn't do it. They wouldn't mess with those elections. They're once per four-year elections, right? So that's like equivalent of Congress, equivalent of like House of Representatives, you know, elections in, in the US. They have them once per four years. So they wouldn't mess with that. Now, I think people were kind of surprised. The election was on the Sunday and they had the, the they did this press conference on the Tuesday night. They didn't mess around. Uh, but, you know, if it wasn't in September, it was definitely going to be in October. So it's not that surprising. And I think what, what I think the biggest, most fundamental problem here is that the investors in the US, understandably, understandably, don't really understand Macau. Macau is a very difficult place to understand. I know when I first moved here, it took me two years to even get a meeting with anyone. You know, it, it, it's a closed shop, this place. And, you know, most people, most Westerners don't survive here or there's a handful that do. You either love it or you hate it. Most kind of hate it and end up moving back to wherever they're from, the US or Australia or Canada or UK, Europe, whatever. But there is a small handful of us here who love it and do eventually acclimatize and get used to how things are done here. But things are done very, very differently to how they're done in the US. A lot of things don't make sense. So, for example, just to continue on, you said, you know, you, you alluded to, you know, why would the government do it that way? The government of Macau is, doesn't really care about economics. They don't really care about the viability of these properties. That's not their problem. Their problem, their, uh, their driving influence is to keep Beijing happy, to keep the people of Macau happy, and to keep so what they call social stability and to uh, the economic prosperity of Macau is important, sure, 
But, you know, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, Macau can't spend the money it raises in taxes. Every year it raises X in taxes, it spends half of X. So it's reserves, it's got enough money. Macau has got enough money to survive for five to 10 years without another cent of tax being raised. So it doesn't really matter to them, that side of things. So I guess, I mean, I'll stop talking now, I'll let you ask another question, but there's kind of a mismatch between Western expectations of a business environment and how things actually run in Macau. And when you explain these things, like on invest, I, I get on investor calls and do consulting. I get a lot of, I can hear the open jaws at the other end of the line going, really? I go, yeah, yeah, really. I, it really is like this. And I understand why you're incredulous because I was too the first two years and there were three years and now I kind of get it. Well, the leadership, though, in, in China and, and, and specifically Macau, I mean, these are smart, well-educated leaders. And, and part of the reason why there is such a surplus and that there doesn't need to be taxes for five to 10 years is because of the capital markets, mostly the U.S. capital markets. There's the, the nicest, biggest and best integrated resorts in the world in Macau because of the capital markets. So in order to achieve the goals, it would seem, of, of the government, you know, for quality of life and happiness for the people in Macau, there's still gotta be dependence upon, the, dependence upon the capital markets and this uncertainty period that raises issues on, well, can we send dividends back to the US? Do we have to change our cap structure and have local ownership? Um, is there now going to be someone from the PRC on our board of directors? I mean, these are things that 20 years ago when people invested in the first shovel in the ground, they couldn't have imagined. So that's that's what's changed. And, and now we just don't know for sure how it's all going to shake out. So what say you? Well, what I say to that is there's very much an attitude now of, okay, yeah, we did need those capital markets, but now maybe we don't so much. So 20 years have gone by. That was then, this is now. So 2002 and 2022, two very different situations. Now, whether you um, buy that or not, the leadership here does buy that. So they're issuing far less blue cards, for example. They're getting more and more foreigners to leave. They think they think Macau can stand on its own two feet. Mostly it's done. We've had an investment of some 40 billion US, I mean, it's crazy, right? Huge investment in Kotai, some $40 billion. There's probably another 20 billion to go in what's mapped out and planned. But the, the reliance on US capital is much, in their minds, is much, much less than it was. So they don't feel they need to the capital markets in the US to be happy with them. They feel it's also this whole thing of this sort of rising, rising China. And I want to touch on, um, I mean, you mentioned PRC. I really want to touch on something that I hope people can understand is that Macau and China are two very, very different places. And it's really hard to explain in a, in a podcast like this. You, it, it's complicated. But Macau is more different to mainland China than you know, maybe Canada is to America in some ways. We speak a different language, we have different currency, we have different police force, we have a totally different legal system. People on the other side of the world in, in the US, they tend to think, oh yeah, Macau is China. No, it's not. It's a really, really, really different. You know, I can go on Facebook in Macau. I can't go on Facebook in China. Now, I can, I can there's, there's things I can do here that I cannot do there. And, and, and if you'll excuse me going off on a tangent here, I just want to talk about that a little bit because it is super, super important to the Chinese government that Macau does not fail. Macau cannot fail uh, in international communities' eyes. We've already had the example of Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is not looking great. But one can be a mistake. Two is a pattern, right? One's an aberration. Two is, oh, okay, you're doing something wrong. There's only two SARs in all of China, Hong Kong and Macau. Hong Kong's a little problematic at the moment, as we've all seen. So it's really, really important to them that Macau, they can point to Macau and go, hey, look, this, these guys are a success because they know how to play the game right. They know how to do one country, two systems. Whereas you guys in Hong Kong, you know, you didn't really do it the right way and so on and so forth. And they, and, and just let me elaborate a little more, 
mainland China genuinely believes it can bring Taiwan back into the fold one day, somehow. And if it ever does, the model is going to be SAR. Now, Taiwan doesn't believe this, right? But mainland China, it doesn't matter. Mainland China does. So they genuinely believe that, hey, Taiwan, that's us. That's part of us. That's China. We deserve that. And they can point, if, if Macau can be prosperous and successful, they can point it to, to Macau and say, hey, Taiwan, you can be like Macau if you want. You can be the second highest GDP per capita in the world if you want, like these guys are, you know. And so they can't have Macau fail. Look, we only got 600 and something thousand people in a, in a country of 1.4 billion, right? So it's, you know, they, they got to make sure it doesn't fail. They, they're not going to crush the place. They're not going to do some of the things that they're doing in mainland China right exact right exactly now you know for example we've seen what's happened to jack Barr with um ali barber and jack mr and a few other things like that so i just you know there's not going to be prc guys on boards there might be a macau guy on the board a macau government guy but that's very different very very different to a prc guy okay understood appreciate you making that uh that distinction i think you know the the issue with uh taiwan is a fascinating one one that uh seems more likely uh than not given you know some of the the lack of pushback they're likely to get under this uh u.s administration uh based on what we saw in afghanistan and <laughs> based on some of the recent you know activity between yeah. russia and the ukraine so that'll be a fascinating one to watch but this but politics uh politics aside you said something that was just unbelievable you you, you said that you really don't think that they care about what the U.S. capital market thinks at this point. 20 years ago, it was really important for Sands and Wind to come and help build buildings that really made Las Vegas successful and carry forward you know, that product into Macau. And of course, Macau ultimately exceeded by a lot, you know, Las Vegas and a lot of different areas. And, and I think most of the U.S. companies have really tried to be great citizens and they've built buildings and they've hired employees and they've trained employees and they've sort of followed, you know, guidance on building um, non-gaming attractions as well as gaming attractions. So to them, they've really made, you know, a commitment and, 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 and they've made a significant investment on which, you know, anybody would hope to make a reasonable return on that investment based on the risks. But when you when you change after you know the 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 20 year period, your views on capital markets and, and returns on your on your business owners, I mean, it's catastrophic and it's sort of what the market fears the most. And 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 we happen to be in a market with respect to China right now where it's shoot first ask questions later, right? The, think, think about some of the other things we've read about China. Your video game company, well, sort of right out of nowhere, now kids, you know, the, the hours at which they can play video games, you know, has been regulated and changed, like, like sort of like a strict parent, you know, you could play on weekends, but it did, but of course for Tencent and others, um, you know, it, it, the stock price declines were similar to, to what we've seen in Macau. Um, there is no longer a Chinese company that has a market value in the top 10 globally. Now, a few years ago, that was a really important mandate to the Chinese government to have companies in the top 10. So what you're saying is it's changed. Something's changed. The, the importance to the capital markets and, and, and Macau is one, but we're seeing it you know, throughout the world now. And um, I mean, investors really need to take notice of what you're saying. That's that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, look, there's a few things uh, you've said there. First thing is, Jason, I'm going to ask you to stop saying China because Macau is not China. It really is a different a different place. So I wouldn't conflate what is going on in mainland China. Mainland China, they speak a different language. It's a communist system. It's Xi Jinping, you know, strong president. Macau is not that. Now, yes. Yes, ultimately, the masters of Macau are mainland China, but they don't opt. They don't. They they take a light touch. They they give direction, and then the chief executive here runs it. And it's it's the most 
un, it's the most country-like non-country in the world, right? It really is a completely separate. I mean, you need a passport to go from mainland China to Macau. You need a visa. It really does operate day to day like another country. So what, what I'm seeing is, as you say, you know, Wall Street Journal, I'm seeing Financial Times, I'm seeing them conflate talking about Macau as if it's mainland China. It is not. It is. That's like talking about Ireland as if it's the same as Great Britain. Uh, and I'm not talking about not Northern Ireland. I'm talking about Ireland. So it really is different. So what? coming back to what you said before about the change, the change in the, the feel on the markets, 20 years ago, remember, we had the handover of Macau from uh, Portugal to, uh, to China on the 20th of December, 1999. Now, at that time, under the basic law, under the mini constitution, Macau had to raise its own money. So Macau was always supported by Portugal. Then all of a sudden, Macau had to have its own money. China wasn't going to support it. It had to raise its own taxes. It had to be self-sufficient. So that's why they so desperately wanted you know, to get in. Steve Wynn, they wanted Steve Wynn bad. They really, really wanted Wynn. So they gave Stanley Ho, uh, you know, they, got, they gave him his, effectively his extension, but they wanted Steve Wynn. And then they took this new company, Chinese company, Galaxy. So they needed those capital markets. They needed those big investments. They needed that money because they needed their own taxes. 20 years later, hey, we got taxes, not a problem anymore. You know, we've got, we got money coming out of our backside here, right? That's not the problem. There are other problems. And so things have changed. For example, the people of Macau are kind of complain about how come there's so many foreigners here. We're inundated with mainland Chinese. Yeah, people of Macau look at mainland Chinese as foreigners. Speak a different language, they get in the way. So, so now the government's got, got different mandates. They've got different ideas about how they want to do things. They want to promote locals. They want to increase local ownership. They want more locals to be in senior positions in the concessionaires. And the, most of the capital commitment is done. Uh, yeah, sure, they're going to need capital markets. But really, is there going to be any shortage of getting money or getting finance? As soon as you say the word Macau, we're going to have a casino in Macau. I don't think there'll be a problem raising finance. But whether you raise that on you know, capital markets in the US or whether you raise that some other way, I don't think that's a problem anymore. I mean, look what's going on at the moment with the bonds that they're that they're issuing. They get, they get 1.5 billion, 1 billion, 800 million. They're just borrowing like drunken sailors to fund all the salaries to the staff they don't need to pay, but they do anyway because the government tells them to. So this is kind of why, um, this is kind of why that attitude has changed. You, you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you want to ask me something else, but you mentioned about the, um, uh, the, the American companies being great citizens and, and, and what they've done in the last 20 years. That's 100% right. That's spot on. They've been fantastic corporate citizens and their, their CSR programs have been brilliant. They've, they've, they have done the non-gaming. They have looked after local citizens. So you would think that they would feel justified in being able to get a new license. But um, you know, under the under the way the laws are at the moment, there is actually no necessity for the government to give them their license. Of course, we think that that's what will happen, but there's no necessity there. So, yeah, there's kind of a change. In the last 20 years, Macau's changed a lot. It's really, really changed a lot, and the, the government's attitudes have changed a lot. And this new chief executive that we've just had in since uh, 29, December 2019, his attitude is a lot different to what Edmund Hose was back when we were doing the, doing this 20 years back. Right. So, you know, an investor in, in, in Wynn or in Sands or MGM, I mean, what are they to think then with that, with, with that feedback? I mean, we all kind of own stakes in buildings and businesses and what we hope were prospects of, of, of business recovery post pandemic. And, and, and to a large extent, you know, we, none of us know when the pandemic will recover, but when it does recover, the, the tourism and travel area is going to be one of the best areas. Because, again, you can see signs of that already. There's just an unbelievable pent up demand to travel and, and, and Macau is going to do amazing. I suspect after, you know, everybody feels you know, comfortable enough to travel again, Macau will have record volumes, record numbers, record volumes. Um, but how is it going to play out then in terms of the the relicensing? I mean, you, you, you sort of said you don't think that there's risk, but what you own may be very different. You may have you may own 
you know, a, a, a business that has different ownership, different abilities to, to dividend up money and profits from Macau into the U.S., which 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 is relevant. I mean, how, how do you think all these initiatives ultimately you know play out? Um, the market right. is telling you the market is telling you if, it, it, that the the businesses that you own are now worth materially less as an owner. Okay, so let let me take the dividend question second. But first, let me talk a little bit about the fundamentals of Macau, right? So let, let, having given you the doom, now let me give you the, the upside. Nothing's changed there. You're 100% right about the pent-up demand. I mean, let's, let's just look at what's going on in Las Vegas. It's crazy, right? They're doing they're doing killer numbers now. It's fantastic, right? And we will be the same. You know, that 1.4 billion people in China are still there. That 125 million people in Guangdong province, just over the border, are still there. They're all the rising middle class of China is still there. They still love to gamble. None of that has changed. So the, this, this, these businesses are not worth substantially less than what they were worth before. Are they worth 26%? Well, I think it's 29 we're at now, right? 29% down from what it was on Tuesday uh, before the announcement. Are these businesses worth 29% what they were worth on at Tuesday lunchtime? Absolutely not. No way. Maybe they're worth 5% less. Maybe 10, maybe. That's a stretch. Are they 29% worse off, 30% worse off? Absolutely not, because those fundamentals are still there. So there's always going to be that business in Macau. Macau's been a gambling center for 400 years. Uh, it's been regulated and licensed for over 100 years. It's always going to be there. So, And we've got the most magnificent integrated resorts in the world. These buildings are just stupendously attractive and magnificent. So if you're a newly minted millionaire in, in China or especially in Guangdong province, coming to Macau and you know blowing in a couple of hundred grand is almost like a rite of passage uh, for becoming a newly minted millionaire, right? You gotta, you gotta get buy a whole bunch of Versace shirts, you gotta buy a $5,000 set of golf clubs and you gotta come down to Macau and, and have a few crazy weekends, right? None of that has changed. Now, so there were, the other thing is, the government knows they are not in the business of running casinos, right? They don't know how to run casinos. And who else are they going to give it to? Honestly, you've got these multi-billion dollar casinos. Who can run them other than these six companies? Other than these six companies we have here now, if you look around the globe, who else would be qualified? Maybe Genting, maybe Caesars. I'm running out of names already. Um, you know, like we're pretty much... It's got to be those six companies. I mean, I can't really see who else, you know, with the experience that they've got. So the other thing I would say also that's in, in those companies' favour is Macau, you know, it's a national sport. Don't change anything. So you don't change anything in Macau unless there's a really, really compelling reason to do so. So people ask me to, like, rate probabilities on we're going to have six concessionaires, five concessionaires or seven. I go, like, 80% chance, six. 15% uh, chance, five, 5% chance, seven. Yeah, pretty much, the, yeah, it's pretty certain in my mind we're going to stick with those six. Uh, they've all done the right thing. Now, will there be changes to what those six are required to do? Yes. The scariest proposal in my mind is the one you've alluded to a couple of times, and I'll get to it now, is that approval of dividends. That is scary. I, 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 tr I fully admit that. But what does that mean, Jason? What do they actually mean by that? There's no detail, right? We got we got nothing so far. So does that mean I'll give you the two ends of the spectrum in my mind? At one end of the spectrum, it means, hey, we're going to make life hell for you. We're going to give you ROI of one percent, and uh, you know we're going to take the rest of it away from you. That's one extreme. The other extreme is, hey, actually we're not going to change anything. All we're going to do is. Those CSR obligations that we are very glad that you're voluntarily doing right now, we're just going to enshrine them in a more formal way, formalize the need for you to do that. And you just keep doing what you've always been doing and we'll be happy. So one end of the spectrum is end of the world. One end of the spectrum is no change. And where will it fall in between those two extremes? Well, your guess is as good as mine at the moment. I mean, I think it would be closer to no change. You know, they don't want to, they don't want to, mess too much with what they've done so that one's a little scary and the other the other one the second one that might cause some concern they're talking about okay we're going to put a government delegate um a re or government representative or delegate depending on the translation in your property now they haven't said that they will sit on the board but yeah probably i guess that makes sense 
But in that sense, what they're doing is they're kind of almost making those companies into public utilities in a way, right? Those companies are there for the benefit of the society. Now they, like a PPP, like a public private partnership, right? Okay, we know you guys got to make money, but we want to make sure that you're doing, you, you know, you're, you're meeting your obligations to society in their, in, in, in their mind. That's not going to change what's happening because they're already doing that. I mean, I was talking to the CEO the other day to the CEO of one of the properties, obviously I won't name names. And he was saying to me, hey, I, I feel like I'm running a charity already. You know, every time there's an earthquake in, in mainland China, we all send off 10 million patakas. Every time, you know, China liaison office asks us to, to jump, we, we say how high. And that makes good commercial sense to do that. You know, uh, why wouldn't you when you've got such an incredibly lucrative business that can make hundreds of millions or even a billion or more bottom line every year? So I'm not too concerned about that. The only thing that a couple of people have brought up was, well, would that affect bank covenants maybe for lending if they feel there's change of con uh, some kind of like lack of control or something like that? But they're not going to say that, hey, we're going to run your company for you. They're going to say, we just want to be around and see what decisions you make. I don't think they're going to be saying, you will make this decision, you will make that decision on a macro level. You know, they won't be making decisions about capital allocation and things like that. I, I don't believe. Okay. Well, look, you make you make a lot of points there. And 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 there's been some reporting, and, and this is not just Macau, but but in many, you know, Chinese businesses um so macau you know versus china just in many businesses now that the prc has, has gotten involved with it they've become quote uninvestable because of this uncertainty and 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 we just don't know i mean it would be very hard for me to allocate capital new capital into macau tomorrow given all this uncertainty you know i i remember you know since china was almost 50 you know and 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 now it's 15 and 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 you say maybe it's worth five to ten percent less, but it was already down so much, you know. And 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 it was my very before all of this it was my very strong view that you know M MGM China, Sands China, Win Macau, Galaxy, Melco, like they all had the chance to be back in a position to be at all time highs when we come out of this uh, COVID nineteen you know crisis. But I'm just not so sure now. Like, and and how could anybody be sure? And and this sort of goes back to like, well, where 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 do you invest in gaming? And Macau was the the gaming business all over the world that traded at the highest valuation multiple because the returns on investment were excellent, but also the predictability of government over the last twenty years has been quite good. This was always a risk, but I think people didn't realize that it actually could happen. And so now <laughs> there's, there's, there's a, there, there is a growing and swelling sentiment that Macau has become investable. So, so what's wrong with that thesis and, and, and how is it, how does it, get, how does it change? You know, given, I mean, it, 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 it's just incredibly confusing as you can imagine. It, it's confusing if you're sitting where you're sitting. It's not so confusing if you're sitting where I'm sitting. I mean, you, what you guys over there are all seeing the boogeyman, to be honest with you. Let's just take a step back and not... Actually, what's happened? Nothing. Nothing has happened. On Tuesday night, there was a one-hour press conference. They issued a, a, a single document in the press conference, and they said there will be a public consultation process. And in that public consultation process, we will consider these items. 90% of that has been known for the last five years. All that happened on Tuesday night was all those things that we knew on the ground here in Macau were written down in one place and all reported at the same time. And it spooked everybody over there who doesn't really understand what does that mean. Macau's not in the habit of making wholesale changes. Let's go back and look at the fundamentals. The points you made there are all, I mean, this whole thing of Macau is uninvestable. Are you crazy? This is a excellent buying opportunity in my view to be honest you're right all of those uh all of those i mean galaxy will be a hundred dollars one day i'm telling you i mean i shouldn't be saying that right i shouldn't be saying that in your podcast but 
I can't see how Galaxy, a great, a great property like that, with the balance sheet that it's got, the China connections that they've got. Francis Loy is on the CPPCC. He's a Hong Kong Chinese, but yet he knows how to deal with the mainland. Look at his father, Loy Chi Wu. What an amazing guy. I mean, really, really? They got $6.4 billion in, in cash. Oh, sorry, they had $6.4 billion in cash at the beginning of the pandemic. We've had a once in a century absolute wipeout disaster pandemic. And now they've got $6 billion on the ballot in cash. I mean, like, really? You think this company's in trouble? This I mean, that's I'm talking about the strongest of the six, right? But, you know, I mean, the fundamentals are there. Just go through them. Chinese love to gamble. They learn to gamble as kids at Chinese New Year. Their parents teach them. There's 1.4 billion of them. They're all getting richer every year. The richest province is the province that abuts up onto Macau. 125 million people in Guangdong province getting richer and richer and richer. There are God knows how many new millionaires minted in China every single day. They, the first place they're gonna visit is Macau and Hong Kong. It's like if you're an American, where's the first place you go on your first ever international trip? You go to Canada because they speak the language, it's safe, they're kind of like us, right? Well, Chinese are no different. They go, okay, it's the first international trip. They're kind of a bit scared. Like it's, oh, I've never been overseas before. Oh, let's go to Hong Kong and Macau. By the way, that's an international trip, right? You go to the international uh, terminal, not the domestic terminal. I'm stressing, Macau is not China. Yes, it is China, it's part of China, but you've got to get out of this, this mindset that everything you heard about the big boogeyman China, is Macau's the same, it's not. Very, very different place. Um, yeah, so all those fundamentals of this market are the same. They're gonna, they're gonna gamble, Somebody's going to be running these six companies, these six concessions. I mean, we've got we've got a dozen beautiful multi-billion-dollar integrator. I mean, you've seen these places: Wind Palace, Venetian, Parisian, City of Dreams, Studio City. I mean, we've got these magnificent. They've got two thousand, three thousand, four thousand hotel rooms. It's Las Vegas on steroids. Who can run these companies? There's only ten companies in the world qualified to run these businesses. So are these companies going to end up, could we lose one? Yeah, yeah, we could, maybe 15% chance in my view. 80% uh, chance everything stays the same. But hey, the prices didn't drop 15% like they should have maybe, they dropped 30%. And they dropped 30% as you said, Jason, from an already off peak number. You're right, when this pandemic finally leaves our shores here, we're, we're going to be last here in Asia, right? We've got low vaccination rates here, we are going for zero tolerance of the, you know, we, there's, none of, there's no living with the, the virus over here. You know, we, we, we're going for zero. So we're gonna be last to get rid of it. But when we do get rid of it, oh my God, it's gonna go gangbusters. It's just gonna be crazy here. Now, is that gonna be next year? I hope it is, but maybe it won't, maybe it'll be the year after, but who cares? You know, buy and hold is kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, at these prices, these, you know, you can, you can pick up Galaxy right now for 40 bucks. Like you said, you can pick up Sands now for 15 bucks. How is that not a bargain? It's only not a bargain if you think there's a real chance that they get booted out of town. Pretty hard to boot a company like Sands out of town when they employ 28,000 people. I might be out by a thousand or two, but it's like 25, 28,000, whatever it is, in a city of 600,000 people with a workforce of 300 and something thousand, they employ like 10% of everybody and every worker in town. How do you boot a company like that out of town? It's pretty hard. And when you've got a guy like Wilfred Wong at the helm, who's a smart, uh, you know, speaks fluent Cantonese, fluent Mandarin, fluent English. He was on the Hong Kong, uh, he was involved with the Hong Kong handover. He knows how to deal with Beijing. He's smart. I mean, all these guys are smart, you know, like all these, these, these leaders are smart. He's going to negotiate that process through. I mean, the chance of Sands being booted out of town, it's, it's definitely single digits. I mean, I mean, just I just couldn't see it. And who would come in? What? Who would take it over? Doesn't make sense. So, yeah, look, it's a little scary now for some people who don't really understand. But if you're right here where I am physically sitting amongst these, these companies, been here for a long time, they're not going to do a huge fundamental change that's going to just, just – totally ruin what's going on here I, I don't buy it so when will we know you know when when will actually the mm. people sitting in the u.s know not 
just on the issues that we mentioned with respect to your representation in the company and 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 dividends and and but but what what it will cost you know in terms of the relicensing the relicensing process is, has been an overhang for a while and 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 everybody suspects that the cost of relicensing you know will be like a tax and it's hard to quantify what impact that will have on profitability what what are your best thoughts yeah, it's a really good question. And that's the that's the $64,000 question, isn't it? Well, we know the license has all run out on the 26th of June, 2022. So that's one, that's one. you know, circle that date in your calendar. Um, we've got this 45-day public consultation process that's running now that ends on 29th of October. Nothing happens in Macau between 20th of December, which is the national, that's like 4th of July, right? 20th of December is like 4th of July. So nothing happens in Macau between 20th of December and Chinese New Year. So I think it's pretty much certain that it's going to be extended. Of course, I don't know. Nobody knows. I certainly don't know. But the prevailing wisdom in this over here is that they're going to extend, like they did last time, uh, they're going to extend. And they've got the legal right to extend up to five years. Some people think it's only three because they already did extend MGM and SGM by two. Some people say, no, it's five. Um, you wouldn't think he would extend be into the next term. So his term is a five-year term that runs to the 20th of December, 2024. And if he was uh, to extend it too close to that, it would look presumptuous. It would look like he was presuming that he was gonna get his term extended, um, which is almost a certainty, but you should never, you should never rely on it. So kind of two years makes sense. Also, from a leverage point of view, right, if you're the Macau government and you want leverage in this negotiation, and this is a negotiation, then wouldn't you want to string these guys out for a while and just you know, make them take a bit of heat for a while and just sort of show the power that you've got? I would. I would in, in a negotiation. So I think it's going to be extended. Um, I think the chance of it being extended reduced slightly when they came out so quick after the, the assembly elections. That was a kind of a surprise. Maybe they did that because they really do want to get it done by June 22. But I think odds are extensions make a lot of sense. And also, why do you want to negotiate this in the middle of a pandemic when like numbers are down, business is down? Don't you want to ne negotiate this in the middle of that massive release of pent up demand when everything is going gangbusters? So that kind of makes sense too. So we may not know, honestly, we may not know for a couple of years. So you're going to wait? You're going to wait for a couple of years? Or are you going to get into the market? That's the question. If they don't extend, we will know in March. Let's say March, April, you know, because it's June, right? I mean, they've got to, they've got to be some clarity. So if they don't extend, we're going to know in like end of Q1, let's say, next year, something like that. If they do extend, well, add on as long as the extension is to that number. Yeah, I mean, again, that's the uncertainty is just from an investment perspective, hard, hard to hard to digest, you know, in the backdrop of, of the events of the last couple of weeks, you know, what, what will the outcome be? What will the cost be? What will the duration be? And uh, it just it just makes it more complicated. So. So so let me ask you this, though, I, you know, hey, Jason, can I just interrupt you there for a second? Because yeah. you make a really good point. I want to say something about that. Uncertainty, uh, you make a really good point there. And and when I first came to Macau, I was shocked at the level of uncertainty. It's not like a Western place where, you know, contracts don't mean as much here as what they mean in the West. Like you sign a contract, that's that. I mean, of course, they do mean things. But you learn when you live here, you learn over time to read between the lines, to read the room, to understand like you, you got to stop going, but what's the answer? Oh, well, it could be this or it could be that. And it, it's kind of hard for me to explain on a, on a podcast like this with you. It's, you know, you, you, your DNA changes when you live here, but you kind of learn that that's how things are done. So you've got to be comfortable with uncertainty. You can't have your cake and eat it. I mean, you've got this incredibly lucrative businesses we're all investing in, right? And you, you want absolute clarity and certainty as well? No, you've got to live with a little uncertainty, I'm afraid. Just right now, just right now until they relicense. So that's kind of like a different a cultural difference there. They, they don't see it as creating uncertainty and that's bad for the market. They don't see it that way. They'll, they'll say when they're good and ready and 
you know what? Usually it's status quo. If you're, in, if you're in an uncertain position in Macau and you're wondering what's to happen, you want to factor that into a model or something like that, right? The best thing to do is just plug in the status quo because 80% of the time that's what happens. Understood. So, you know, unintended consequence of all this has, has the Philippines and, and Japan just been given a gift? Uh, no, the answer to your question is no, but I could absolutely see how you might think that. Um, great question, by the way, really good question. Uh, look, Philippines and Japan, uh, as I say, I, 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 pre-pandemic, I was there, um, uh, IAG, we actually have a, we have a bureau over in Japan, we have a team over there, and Japan's fascinating. Man, we could do another whole podcast on Japan. It's just absolutely fascinating what's happening over there. Uh, the reason I say no is, honestly, let me say this, you could have eight Macau's dotted around mainland China, right? You could have eight Macau's, you could go around the edge of mainland China and you could, I know we're on a podcast doing, a, doing an audio, you can't see me now moving my hand around in a circle, but you know, it's the proximity, it's the convenience, it's the land-based travel. Remember, mainland Chinese are not really air travelers, right? They're train travelers, they're bus catchers. Of course, they're becoming more air travelers now, uh, as mainland China gets richer. Notice how I always say mainland China, not China, because you really got to make that distinction. Um, so really it's, it's Macau's proximity. Japan, yeah, look, it's a really, it's a favorite and a great destination of Chinese. Once they've done Macau and Hong Kong, once they've got that under their belt, maybe they've gone to Taiwan. Sure, Japan will be a de destination. But Japan is not like Macau. Macau is geared up for the gaming industry, like Vegas, right? You fly into Macaron, bang, everything's geared up for the gaming industry, right? There's that great taxi line out the front where it's bang, 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 bang. The limo drivers are there. The whole town of Vegas is geared around the gaming industry. Same thing in Macau. Like we're all geared around these integrated resorts, the infrastructure's there. You go to Japan, when they do finally get integrated resorts in Japan, and by the way, they're messing that up big time, um, you know, it's just going to be one thing that's there. Philippines, the same. A lot of Chinese don't want to go to the Philippines. Very unpopular amongst Chinese. They, they perceive it as a dangerous place. Um, it's actually much better. It's a much improved, the Philippines, but they do have a perception problem. So no, not really. I mean, if you want to start talking about junkets, then maybe yes, because junkets are becoming less and less a flavor of the month of Macau, and they're more moving to places like the Philippines or even Cambodia. That's a different matter. But so not, no, not really. It's, it's, Macau's got this wonderful confluence of factors that just, just, that can't be taken away from it. And the biggest thing is geography. I mean, when I did, you alluded to before about the fact that I actually went to school in Macau. I did a, at an advanced age, I did a master's degree at the University of Macau. And my, my thesis was what makes one integrated resort in Asia more profitable than another? And I examined the, the factors. And the two biggest factors are, nearby population base and access dynamics ability to access for people and for money so to get the physically get the people the bodies there and physically get the cash to the casinos they're the biggest factors and macau just has that little little bit harder for the cash now um, with what's going on but philippines doesn't have that and um nor do, nor does japan so it, it, it's not really a big factor Last question, you know, and, and, and the gold rush in gaming is in the U.S. right now. It's online. It's, it's online gaming. I mean, you really see, I mean, companies just showing up from, from nowhere and have billion-dollar valuations and, and maybe some technology that trades sports. It's amazing to watch. We've seen this before. It never ends well. Um, the, the, the issue of online gaming, the mainland Chinese government, the potential for, 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 for online in Macau, what are your thoughts as it relates to Asian online gaming and how it may change or not change from what we see today? Look, no, a great question, a really pertinent question for the decade ahead. Um, the whole world's going online and everything, right? Absolutely everything. And gaming's no different. And as you say, like, it, it's the gold rush, it's the boom. And we're, we're really missing the boat here. The mainland Chinese government, as many of your listeners may well know, is is rabidly anti-online gaming. Uh, they've got a real problem with what's going on in the Philippines at the moment with the, the POGOs. That's the Philippines offshore gaming operators and the regime they've set up there. Online gaming in Asia is, is in its absolute infancy. It is 
nowhere near as developed as, as, as Europe, you know, where it's properly developed. Even the US is, you know, you guys are getting in on the act now, right, with the legalization of the sports betting and all of that. Because the market is perceived to be mainland Chinese guys, uh, and mainland China is so anti-online gaming, it's going to be problematic for a long time. Macau does not, will, will not do it because, I mean, obviously they should do it. It makes sense. But they, and, and I've even written some articles and thrown some crazy ideas out there about how they could do it in a palatable way or small, you know, stepping stones towards moving in the right direction. But it's tough, man. It's tough. They don't want to do it. There have been some statements by, like DICJ, for example, the regulator here in Macau, was directly asked at a press conference I think it was about nine months ago, you know, would we look at online gaming? And and to my astonishment, they didn't just immediately say no. Uh, they said, look, we're looking at it. You know, it doesn't mean anything, of course, we're looking at it. Even at the press conference um, on Tuesday night, he was asked about online gaming. The Secretary for Economy and Finance, uh, Lei Wainong, was asked about it. And he, he didn't outright say no. He said something along the lines of, that may prove to be difficult at the moment or we would need to look at the social impacts of that or but it wasn't an outright no giving him an out later on to maybe say yeah and i just think you know things do change look at what's happened in the last 20 years in macau things do change if we were going to do it in asia macau is the obvious place to do it we've got great brand names here really strong brand names in mgm and galaxy and melco and sj sjm all these companies sand you know they would be the ones to do it. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a long road. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, we have seen this new Pigo thing in the Philippines where the Philippines have now allowed their own players. They're not geo-blocking their own players, but there are a lot of rules around it. Look, it's going to come one way or another. I mean, you can't stop progress, right? You can't stop technology moving in and it's it's got to come. And, and, and by the way, underground, it's already crazy. I mean, there are underground online gaming going on in, in Asia. It, it's, it's, in our estimation, bigger than the bricks and mortar industry. So it's just absolutely huge. I mean, look, at, all you have to do is look at those EPL games, right? Look at those games in, in, in London, uh, in, in England, and look at the, the Chinese going around on the hoardings around the outside of the, you know, scrolling around all the advertising is in China. Who, who's the major shirt sponsor for all these football teams? in the EPL, you know, they're all online gaming companies, Chinese online gaming companies. Yep. So look, it's happening already and they know it's happening. It's just a question of how they can get their act together to go, all right, we're gonna regulate it. We're gonna make it legal in some way, in a way that's palatable, that they can get it across the line uh, with, with mainland China. So look, yeah, short answer, it's gonna happen, but two years, five years, 10 years, your guess is as good as mine. And how they do it, not quite sure either. But, you know, there's one thing for sure. 20 years from now, there's going to be online gaming in Asia. You know? Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Well, look, this has been a great discussion. Keep uh, keep doing what you're doing, Andrew. You're, you're a total winner. This is Andrew Scott, Vice Chairman, CEO at Inside Asian Gaming. Thank you very much. This has been the Deviate to Win podcast. Thanks very much for having me, Jason. It was a lot of fun and uh, some great questions from you. So thanks again. If you've enjoyed the conversation, leave a review and subscribe to Deviate to Win to be alerted to future episodes. Jason's book, Deviate to Win, Insights from a Turnaround Investor, can be found on Amazon.